morning, Brother Booker. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's give the Lord a great hand clap. God, we love you. I love you. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. It is so good to be in his house with his people and uh, to hear his word. So great. So very, very, very great. I, uh, I really do strive. I know I'm, uh, I'm six foot six. And uh, that alone, you know, sometimes most folks have to look up to me whether they like it or not. Praise God. But um, I really strive, however it is, whatever realm. Um, I don't like to intimidate people. I don't like, I don't like intimidating people. And um, so I strive not to be intimidating in any realm, whether it's in a counseling session or uh, whatever. Um, and I don't like to be intimidated. So I, I strive on both ends. But though I don't try to intimidate and I don't like to be intimidated, and there's not very many people that do intimidate me, can you imagine what it's like to follow Nathaniel J. Wilson when, when he's really been on a roll? Oh, my goodness. This is, uh, this is not what you call a choice spot. <laughs> but uh, that, was, that was awesome. That's right. That is a revelation. <clears throat> And that is no small revelation. In my dealings with people through the years, I really honest, honestly believe the hardest lesson to get through to people coming out of this generation is first and foremost that God really loves them. Seriously. They may give it lip service, but to really believe that he is head over heels in love with you. And that because of that, he wants to bless you. This is a revelation today. And thank you. Thank you, Brother Wilson. Thank you. Thank you. I know all of that came to you about 6 a.m. this morning. And you never had to study or open your Bible to get that. But thank you. That was awesome. <clears throat> I want to uh, direct your attention, if you would, to the book of Psalms, chapter 119. Psalms 119, very familiar psalm. And there are some of the verses within the psalm that are, that are ready deeply embedded standbys into the hearts of people that love God and His Word. I'm just going to read one of these. Before I do, I would like to say 
that God is so wise and his, uh, he knows how to comfort. I think the best definition that you can apply to his spirit is the one he really likes and he put on himself is he's a comforter. And that comfort comes from a thousand different uh, directions and ways. One of them is uh, Brother Powers last week asked me if I knew what I was going to preach when I got here, and I said, frankly, no, I, I have no idea. And on the plane yesterday coming up, he asked me, and I said, yes, I do know. I do know what I am supposed to preach. And, uh, and when Brother Mayo preached last night, the God of all comfort, thank you, Jesus, that I knew what I was supposed to preach before I got here. And uh, Brother Mayo, in the world we are living in, you obeyed God powerfully. And there are young people under the sound of my voice that know far better than all of us how much you obeyed God. And there's adults. You obeyed God last night. Um, <clears throat> I have a man in our church that's, he works for the criminal justice system. This business of uh, predators in chat rooms and the imagery he spoke of is no small matter. He, 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 he was involved in terrorism for many, many, many months. He was, I can tell you stories raise a hair on your head. He said, this business it is so bad, they pulled him, and he was one of their top guys in the whole state, they pulled him off of terrorism to work nothing but the computer world. It's that bad. And we recently had a two-week session, two Wednesday nights in a row about that with a couple of people in our church that are very excellent in this. And um, I asked him to speak, or he spoke at the end. He said, this is but the tip of the iceberg. He said, today, today, and he was talking about him and the people he worked with. He said, I arrested 40 people today. Thirteen of them were attorneys. Two of them were medical doctors. Today. But out of the midst of a world like this, I'm telling you, God is evermore going to have a church. And, I, and I, got, I got news for you. There's a lot of people out there swimming in the murky, muddy, dangerous, monster-infested waters. They don't like it. They are not safe. And they want out. And we're the answer. Praise God, we're the answer. We are the answer. Amen. And uh, I am a deeply vested uh, seeker after all that God would have by way of revival and to touch our generation. And prior to what some may think, I'm not a negative person. The last three years here, I preached on the power of perceptions. I preached on the difference between the reign of David and Solomon. And I preached about the river of the love of God. So I don't have no great itch to scratch. 
But I'm telling you, I do believe the Lord has spoke to my heart. And there are people under the sound of my voice that have heard me preach this. Um, so I would, I would almost apologize, but it'd be so insincere. I won't waste your time or mine, either one. But uh, brother, uh, brother Varnum heard me preach this at uh, their camp meeting, and uh, and I've preached it around the nation. But before I came up here the last few days, I felt. The Holy Ghost directed me. One verse, Psalms 119, verse number 130. 130. Psalms 119, 130. The entrance of thy words. Everybody say words. Words, words are very powerful things. If you'll think about it. Save for movings of the Holy Ghost. Words are all we have to work with. That's it. They're powerful things. The entrance of thy words giveth light. Everybody say light. light. It giveth understanding. Everybody say understanding unto the simple the entrance of thy words giveth light it giveth understanding unto the simple let's pray together Lord Jesus God you have gathered us here today you've done it you have done it and God you've done it to send us out and to affect this world that you created and that you love so much that you robed yourself in human flesh to suffer, bleed, die, and resurrect to save. God, help this people, help our every heart, mind, soul, and spirit to be attuned to you, to walk with you, to do your will in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, the world is a dark place, but thank God there is the light. The true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And in a world where there is so much misunderstanding, thank God for understanding understanding thank God for it and our understanding and our light comes from the fact that as brother Wilson stated we stop every now and then to read his words and we hear them preached and we we chew on them amen we try and strive to incorporate this into our every being an offshoot of our lifestyle and we order our steps by this word the reason we have the Holy Ghost is because this word told us we could have it the reason our sins are remitted is because his words let us know how to go about it hallelujah 
and somebody preached this word and it pricked our hearts and we found a place of repentance and amen and we could go on and on and on the word so much hinges upon his words how many do understand that the devil's not exactly excited about his word amen and that when jesus was tempted of the devil in the wilderness jesus refuted his every parlay with his word his word his word his word amen he never looked at him and said i don't like you he just quoted scripture to him which is much more effective you can scream to the devil all day long how much you hate him and he could care less but you start quoting the word to him and he is a troubled mess amen thank god for his word word his word years ago i read an article in the uh, an issue of the smithsonian magazine and this issue was called the golden age of harvard uh, i made reference to that many points and places but uh, it talked about uh, various places be it a nation or a city state or a university culture society that moves into realms that are termed golden ages golden ages amen and he talked about the golden age of harvard and uh, one of the things that it stated was that it is um, much easier to mark the beginning of a golden age than it is to mark or pinpoint the decline of a golden age it's easier to look back through history and see when a be it a nation culture uh university whatever movement begin to move into its golden age then when you can pinpoint the time and the moment the instant that the decline started and it begin to move out of its golden age whether you are a studier of all the great empires be it the sumerian the egyptian the assyrian babylonian persian greek roman empires or the british empire or what is being referred to now well in the like the roman empire because it was so vast and its influence so universal they called it the pax romana or the british when they were in their heyday and the sun never sat on the british empire and it was referred to as the pax britannia and there are historians that are stating that in time to come we will look back on these days and they will refer to this as the pax americana time because of the unbelievable power and influence that america has in the world today it doesn't mean we're not rocking and reeling but but we are affecting the world like nobody else has and can affect the world amen but these golden ages start and then the golden ages begin their decline they start working their way down and those moments when they begin to decline it's it's hard to pinpoint them they didn't make one statement in this study that said one of the main themes of decline is that and this is a quote the silvering of the gold is always done in the name of progress 
The silvering of the gold is always done in the name of progress. So you can chew on that. That's a little rabbit. You chase it where you want to chase it. Praise God. But there is a, uh, a culture, a place, and time, and it's not necessarily the decline, but it's a moment when you can see an age move into another age. There's a date, actually. This is a very, very, very rare moment in human history. And there is a date that has gone down in human history. It's July 24th, 410 A.D. When they say this date changed the world basically forever. Because on that date, the world moved into, if you could point to a day, from that day the world moved into what is called the Middle or Dark Ages on July 24th, 410 A.D. Now they didn't know that on that date, but we can look back with the benefit of hindsight. Because on that day, 40,000 Goths, Huns, newly freed Roman slaves, entered into a city that no foreign enemy had entered into for over 600 years. And that city was Rome. Rome was never the same again. The Huns sacked Rome. And so then and there, the Roman Empire was never the same. Pax Romana was forever over Romana. And uh, that was the end of quite an age. The, uh, at its peak, it had affected two and a half million square miles. This is about our population, but you've got to figure in those days, that population, 300 million peoples. The Roman Empire endured from approximately, in its inception, 800 B.C. till 410 A.D., about 1,200 years. That's an amazing thing. Edward Gibbon, in his book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, gave five reasons for the collapse of Rome. I'm just going to throw these out. This is a pretty big rabbit. Number one, the rapid increase in divorce undermining the home. Number two, higher and higher taxes, the spreading of public money for free bread. Number three, the fall of Rome was from the mad craze for pleasure. Number four, the building of gigantic armaments when the real enemy was within the decadence of the people. And number five, the decay of religion, faith fading into mere form. Pax Americana, you better listen up. Amen. After 410 A.D., it began a very, very, very sad process, amen, of a continual splittering, splitting and splintering of that once great invincible Rome. The Goths, the Huns, the Franks, the Lombards, the Angles, the Saxons, amen, and, and it splintered, it shivered, and, and it slid off into these dark, dark ages. There is a key word to describe the Dark Ages, and that word is barbarism. Barbarism is the key single word to describe 
that dark age. Amen. The number one single change that the Huns brought in, different from the Roman Empire, the number one single change that caused the Dark Ages to become so pervasive over a few generations and so deep and entrenched and sad and bad and cruel is this illiteracy illiteracy was the number one key mark of the barbarism of the dark ages the ability to read became a thing of the past the reason is amen the barbarians the huns they felt no need to read they cared nothing for books Attila the Hun was not a scholar. Amen. So because of that, education and civility vanished. Superstition swelled and took its place. The world was ruled by third-rate politicians left over from the Roman Empire. Amen. Within and without the church. And there's always been that tribal chieftains triumphant warriors these were the rulers the images of europe at that time we get such as from books like grimm's fairy tales believe it or not where they talk about dark forests lurking wolves hags witches roaming highwaymen and those images believe it or not are not too far from the actual reality because of some major defeats in Europe the Romans never built the road work the roads through the main heartland of Europe like they did in other places of the world so because of that basically it remained a vast woodland of medieval villages now I'm headed somewhere so please stick with me amen every little village was little more than an island separated from another. The village would hold from 50 to 500 people. These people in the villages, they had very few ideas. They had a vocabulary consisting of about 600 words. A man in one of those villages might by sight in his lifetime get to know two to three hundred people his entire life if he traveled amen to a village even 20 miles away there was a very good chance he wouldn't even know the dialect of the people in the neighboring village probably he'd only go seven miles away very rarely longer the reason is if he went seven miles away he could return the same night and that was very, very, very important. They did that because if they were out at night, they were twice as likely to be murdered as they were to die by some type of an accident. If an individual was murdered in those days, his chances or the chances of his murderer being caught and convicted were less than a hundred to one. So it was open season.
roving gangs. Everybody say gangs. Anybody ever hear of gangs? Amen. Gangs. Even gangs of renegade knights. They roamed about. Amen. Waiting to fall on hapless travelers. The level of unbelievable everyday violence. Death in alehouse brawls. Bouts with staves that would get out of hand and blood and, and mayhem spreading through the crowds. Amen. Even in games and in wrestlings, the shocking violence that would get out of hand and go crazy was unbelievable. The illiteracy of the people in those days coincided with quite an increase, and I hardly ever, 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 ever call the name of a church. I hardly ever do it. <clears throat> Unless I think it's needful, I won't do it. But during these days of great illiteracy and, and deep darkness, the ranks of the Catholic Church swelled greatly. They swelled greatly. They weren't exactly born through Bible study. But they swelled. A lot of it was by forced uh, conversion, and that was because pagan leaders would work profitability from it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was more of a political action by leadership than it was any change of anybody's heart whatsoever. The reading in those days, therefore, was restricted to the clerical class. The priests were the only ones that read. In fact, in those days, even most kings were illiterate. Kings could not even read. Amen. The alphabet was unrecognizable, even from village to village. One, one village's alphabet would be so different from another. Papyrus and parchment and things to write upon, amen, were unbelievably rare. And uh, worst of all, the Catholic Church restricted reading and writing. The status quo as it was, they wanted it to continue to be that way. The Bible that they had, such as it was, the Vulgate, was uh, put together by Jerome in the 5th century. That itself was written in Latin, which would do the people that could speak no Latin no good, obviously. And because of all of this ignorance, very unbiblical doctrines proliferated. Doctrines such as the priesthood, transubstantiation, purgatory, indulgences. These doctrines people just accepted because they, they had no idea. They, they didn't have a Bible. They had a Bible. Couldn't do no good. Didn't know how to read. And so whatever they told them is cool. That's fine. Whatever. And, uh, and then in 1229 of this time, the Council of Toulouse uh, bade it that owning a Bible, if you were not a priest, was illegal. You couldn't even own a Bible. So during these days of great darkness and illiteracy, records were rarely kept because and there were a few calendars, no clocks, you got to get the picture. So people didn't even really mark time. If there were any learning institutions such as Athens, Alexandria, used to vaunt, these were targeted and faded away to nothing. Books, philosophy vanished. The common people were in a deep, gross darkness. 
1530, which was on the latter end of this, <clears throat> Erasmus of Rotterdam wrote a book called On Civility and Children. Everybody say children. On Civility in Children. And he made a statement. He described the difference between civilization and barbarism as simply being the difference between having self-discipline and having no self-discipline. Self-disciplined peoples you could constitute as being a civilized people. Undisciplined people are barbarians, is his statement. This wasn't exactly a bestseller, if you could read. And uh, the world into which it was sent, the vast majority of the people of Europe ate with their hands from common plates. I don't mean to be gross or graphic. They'd urinate publicly in the streets. They would, in minor disagreements, get mad and chop each other up to pieces. And this is the most important thing I have to say up to this point. The children, as children, disappeared. There were no children. There were little people. But there were no children. Because the children were not separated from the rest of that wild, debauched community. They did not grow through stages of life like we did, especially we who of the, of the 50s and early 60s where it was C, Dick and Jane, C, Spot, Run. And, and that was very basic and rudimentary. I remember sitting in a classroom. I'll never forget it. In fact, I visited that classroom here a few years ago. And, and, and I walked into in Pueblo, Colorado, Carlisle Elementary. And, and on the third floor of that old rustic building, and uh, the teacher said yes. And I said, I'm sorry. I just I went to this class over 40 years ago. She said, please come in and talk to us. And I said, I sat right here. I was sitting right here, and I looked on that wall right up there. And there was a word, look, L-O-O-K. I will never forget this as long as I live. I looked at look, and it was like a light went on. I knew what look meant. It was my first word I ever learned. And uh, it, it, was, it was something. Well, kids in the dark ages, they never had experiences like that. They didn't hear about spot running. They lived in the same world as their parents. There was nothing separating them. They were educated through the same medium. Amen. They were not taught positive things socially. Children who by seven all pretty well speak well, they shared the exact same world as their parents. They played the same games, they heard and repeated the same stories, they did the same work, they were involved in the same activities, 
as their heathen parents. Nothing was hid from them. There was no transition period from being a child to an adult. They were babes thrown into a dark, illiterate, crude, rude, bloodbath world. And that was their world. They survived. So there were no children. There were little people. I've met them. I've met them. I'll tell you the first time I met one of those children, and it rocked me. And I was a sinner, and I was a druggie, I was a hippie. And I told about it in my book, but I went with my buddy up to a third store of an old house there in Denver. And there we were involved in a drug deal. I will never forget this moment. And there was the, the low life, wasn't the real daddy, just the character of the house at the moment. And the greasy, stringy-haired mother and the pitiful, just you picture the scenario. And there was a little boy there. A little boy that watched the whole process with cold, dead eyes. The drugs, the money. He was lifeless. There was nothing hid from him. He saw it all. He witnessed it all. He ate, he drank, he breathed that world. And for the first time in a long time, I felt so ashamed. That kid got me so bad. And after a while, I, I got up and I went out, and the boy was downstairs. And, and uh, it was in December, and, and, and I just, man, I, you know, I was a heathen, but I was, I was trying to, uh, you know, something. I, and I looked at that little old man and I said uh, hey hey it's about Christmas time he just stared at me and I said um, and man where this came from God only knows I said you, you need to have your mama tell you about Jesus the baby Jesus being born that's what Christmas is all about <laughs> and there I was but the kid looked at me cold as ice and he said, Mr. You're crazy. He was not a child. He was not a child. Amen. He was a jaded, streetwise, cynical old man. Nothing had been hid from him, so there was no transition. His world was an oral, amen, examination of life. In the Dark Ages, when this was the common place, the uh, extremely limited vocabulary, the, the sexual vulgarity of that age was appalling. I want to paint you a little picture here. You got a picture of the one-room peasant house, of which all of Europe consisted of. It was rich or poor, no middle class. Single room, 
in which the center lay as big a bed as possible, giant bedstead piled high with straw pallets, seething most of the time, all the time, probably with vermin. Everybody slept there. The parents, the children, the grandparents, the hens and the pigs were close at hand. I don't mean to be gross or graphic, but listen to me. If a couple chose to enjoy intimacy, everybody in the room was very much aware of every movement. If strangers visited the house, they were invited to share the bed. If the father did happen to go away and for a while and come home and find his wife pregnant or with a new baby, the common accepted uh, way of dealing with it in that day was uh, the statement, and this was uh, collaborated by the theologians of that day, she must have been impregnated by an incubus, which was an evil spirit. And that's how she got pregnant. And, uh, and so that was that world. And so there they were. You can look at artwork from those periods of time and you see the coarse village festivals with besotted drunken men and women and children groping at each other with unbridled lust. This is in the artwork. Everything permitted in the children's presence. And for all of these reasons, the lights went out in Europe. And the dark ages and the barbarism was there. Now, can I stop for a moment and say, has anybody noticed that as far as the world is concerned, we are losing the innocence of childhood? Has anybody noticed we have old children, jaded children, worldly, streetwise, cynical kids. If you don't believe it, start a bus route. If you don't believe it. And among other things of bringing light, and in the kids we pick up, I remind our church constantly, we're the only light in those kids' worlds. It's dark, it's bleak, it's so sad. And the difference, sometimes all the kids will get up and sing, and you see our children, our little children in our church. I'm going to tell you something, parents. If you're raising your child in a protected church, you better get out of bed every day and thank God for it. You better get out of bed every day and thank God for it. You see our little children and they're up there and they're sweet and they're cute and this and and and, and it's just it's the nature of the beast and, and there's other kids there. And they're looking around and they're, they're smiling and they're digging each other and they're, they're little people is what they are. They've not been a protected people. They've been an unbelievably exposed people. 
What has changed our society? What has happened to us? Number one reason. Television and Hollywood have no secrets. There's no secrets. And they're exposing everything. And it's out in full force. And if you don't believe, honey, that it's got an agenda, you better get another think coming. Because they have an agenda. Jackie Cooper. Jackie Cooper. Who was one of the first child stars of Hollywood. Jackie Cooper. Years ago, in the 70s, he did his best to recreate. There was a film noir classics called The Little Rascals. Anybody ever hear of The Little Rascals? Jackie Cooper in the 70s tried to create, recreate The Little Rascals series. He sought for three years. He had to abandon The Little Rascals project. And this was his reason. He said, I can find no innocent children. The little rascals in BC, I remembered them. He said they were innocent. They were innocents. Alpha, Alpha, Spanky. These kids were innocent. He said, I can't find that magic. I can find no more innocent children. They're not out there anymore. He had to have gone to a one God, Jesus name, apostolic church that's trying to protect their babies in order to find innocent children. Amen. Amen. And uh, there is a darkness that is descending in America again. Now, Brother Wilson had us so high and happy, and maybe God will help us before we get out of here. But I have got to bear to you what I felt the Holy Ghost put on my heart. Amen. The title of my message today is Barbarism and the 21st Century. It's amazing. Here we are in the age of technological wonders that our forebears of just a few generations ago would have never dreamed of. In this enlightened age, I told my wife here a while back, and by the way, just thank you for all the prayers. She's doing very, very good. She's going to start radiation next week, but the doctors feel like they got it all, and she is an upbeat trooper. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Amen. But, but, but we're driving down the road. We're headed off in somewhere up in Arizona, and, and, and it is hotter than blue blazes outside there. And I said, Brenda, can you imagine, I said, telling someone that traversed this desert, amen, 120 years ago in a covered wagon, can you imagine stopping them and telling them, hey, 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 can I tell you, someday we'll go down this this area here will go 85 miles an hour. We'll be listening to meaningful stories. We'll have, we'll have soda drinks on ice. We'll be licking on ice cream. I'll have a little gizmo in my pocket that I can talk to almost anybody in the world. And they would say, you, sir, are out of your mind. But that's the world we live in. 
And that's nothing compared to what's just coming on every single day. So here we are in this world of technological wizardry that's mind-boggling. And yet, in America, in the top 10 cities of the United States, and this has been this statistic since the 70s, if you're born in one of the top 10 cities of the U.S., you've got a greater chance of meeting your end of death by violence than if you were than if you were inducted into the United States Army in World War II. That's how dangerous it is now in our top American cities. Amen. In this nation, amen, the conditions of the Americans' homes, the problems that are facing us, the splitting, the dissension, the violence, amen. All of these things have got conscientious educators tied up in knots, spiraling divorce rates, unwed fathers, amen, fatherless children, child, child pornography, amen, to the place now they're taking a deep breath, they're gulping, but educators are having to say, it looks like in America right now, one in three children are being sexually molested. And this is a civilized country. And there is a, a, a lady in our church that taught the, uh, the deal about the internet a couple of weeks ago that talked about, told me how they were sitting in a room with, with other counselors with glum, deep, Grief and sorrow whenever, because they're reading memorandums coming from the top in this state and they're reading between the lines and they realize what they're saying. Number one, if you're dealing with someone in a school, a kid in a school, they judge abnormal by what is not normal, right? What's not normal is abnormal. So they've already crossed this river, not all of them, but I mean, um, as far as policy, that in a public school, if you're dealing with abnormalities, if there's a child that's drinking, that's not abnormal. They all drink. If a child's doing drugs or, or smoking, that's not abnormal. They all do it. If you find a child that doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't do that, that child's abnormal. Now, they've already crossed that river. That doesn't mean the child's sick or they've got to fix it, but it just means you don't worry about the other. You've got to work around it and just do this and do that because that's normal. And so the glum, sad state set in because the reading between the lines, and this is taking place during the Michael Jackson trial. And they get, they're seeing what they're getting ready to spring out is that pedophilia is going to come to the place in America it's going to be accepted because there's so much it's like how can they persecute a third of society and prosecute are you getting the picture and so that because abnormal means what is not normal therefore what is normal is just what everybody's doing and they're trying to set up the stage for people to swallow that. That it's okay, Mr. Jackson, do what you want. You won't have to go to trial again. 
It's headed that way. I'm talking about barbarism and the 21st century. We're in a nation that is sliding into unbelievable barbarism all around us. And brothers and sisters, it ain't going to get any better as far as the world is concerned. Now, I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to tell you something. Have mercy if there ever was an hour, honey. It's our hour. It is our hour right now. Because if you think all the parents out there like that, you got another thing coming. They're scared. They don't know what to do. They feel like they're afraid to even say something to their kids, like, like society's against them and the, everybody's against Hey, thank God, if you've got a pastor that's got the guts to preach it, you better have the guts to get up behind him. Come on, brother. This is our hour. And there are families that are dying for places like this. They want to come. They want a safe place. They want to raise their babies. They don't want to throw them to the walls. Hallelujah. And this is our hour. But we are moving from a literate to a visual society. Brother Mayo, when you were preaching last night, I was stunned and I know that was not easy for you to do on the first night of a conference like this I, I very much understand that I appreciate it I told your pastor I said I don't care what the setting I don't care how many people are with you I don't care how many people believe what you're saying in a setting like this to do that brother Mayo among other things it just takes guts hallelujah God bless you and so I'm, I'm sitting there listening to him about the crisis of imagery, knowing what God has already put on my heart to teach. Amen. There is a crisis of imagery. And the beauty is the church has got the answer. The church has got the answer. Hallelujah. But we're moving from illiterate word-based society to a visual society to imagery Todd Gitlin professor of linguistics at Berkeley in 1991 I believe he's, he's either in Harvard or Columbia right now in an article entitled the death of eloquence he wrote was put in the San Francisco Chronicle he states that in 1945 the average writing vocabulary of the American school child from the age of 6 to 14 was a little over 25,000 words writing vocabulary school children in America 25,000 words in 1945 in 1990 25 years later the average writing vocabulary of the American school child was less than 10,000 American school children from 45 to 90 lost 15,000 words out of their vocabulary. It's like something getting extinct when it's gone. You don't get it back. So three out of five words they lost. And the more we go into the technological world, if we're not careful, I wonder if we're going to end up like villages where they know 600 words. 
Where are we headed? Where are we headed? July 2004 article, Newsweek magazine. Newsweek 2004 July article. Government report states that at the current rate in the decline of reading, at the current rate of loss, literary reading as a leisure activity will virtually disappear in 50 years. In 50 years in America, at the rate it's going, people won't even read for activity. It'll be the world of imagery. Of imagery. Of imagery. Now there's a good reason for a church to stay Bible-based. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's a good reason. Thank God. Shoot the word up there. Thank God. Preach the word out here. Thank God. Carry a Bible to church. Thank God. Love it. Live it. Thank God. Read it. Study it. Thank God. Get it in your heart. Get it in the heart of your children. Let them know the high point pinnacle is the Bible, the word of God, and what God works for us through this. Hallelujah. Every experience we know is because my Bible tells me all about it. Hallelujah. The blessings, the promises, the goodness. Hallelujah. It's all found in there. This is like a vast treasure chest. You open it up, brother, and every good, precious, mighty, holy thing, everything you need to be aware of is there. Everything you need to be cognizant of is there. Everything you need to, you can judge matters. You can have understanding. You can have light because of this right here. The power, the sheer power of imagery. How powerful is imagery? How powerful is imagery? Man in our church told us how, you know, involved in the police department, I, you'll relate, you'll know, that when a policeman in the call of duty has to shoot somebody, it's so traumatizing to the officers. Most of them, they have to take off a week. If they kill somebody, the downtime can be up to two weeks. Because, you know, I mean, they, they took out somebody's life. So it was becoming a problem in some of the major cities. So there was a psychologist that was going to try and help them to speed up their recovery time. So that it wouldn't be as traumatizing. You know how he did it? He started training police officers with ultra-violent video games. So that when you shoot, you blow them to pieces and the blood's everywhere. And you watch the brains come out and there's the teeth laying there. I mean, they got them. They're out there, buddy. You know they got video games right now that now when you kill somebody, you can eat their body. It's going into cannibalism. I'm talking about barbarism in the 21st century. And so these, these, these police officers that go through this training were being desensitized through the video games. There was a problem. They became so desensitized 
Now they've raised up a breed they can kill anybody, almost anywhere, anytime, and never bat an eye. And they got this from the imagery, the crisis of imagination. So now this psychologist is working very, very hard to address this situation and get them back. And the problem is, he says, it's far more to get, get desensitized than it is to get sensitized. This is why. Don't ever give up an opportunity to hit an altar. Hallelujah. You know one reason I like altar calls and I love hitting the altars? And I don't care. I don't care if the guy preaches something I ain't even got a problem with. I want to go to the altar because I want to be sensitive. I want something inside of me. Come on now. we got to be a tender people. we got to be a sensitive people to the things of God, to the things of His Spirit. We don't want to be jaded. We don't want to be cynical. We don't want to be streetwise, cold, and different. Hallelujah! Thank God for the churches of the living God. We are, true Christianity is a word-based situation. Word-based. And so here we are in the technological age, the images sliding back into barbarism. Rather than a world of powerful, articulate, Phraseologies and words can be understood and grasped and reveled in by the common man. More and more young people are giving allegiance to sound, image-based media. Written, printed words, their eyes glaze over. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. Amen. And I'll tell you something else I'm noticing. America is becoming much more rude and crude than it was 200 years ago. And rudeness and crudeness stems from the desire to get whatever you want at all costs. This is why fast food goes so well. Because people want it now. Instant entertainment. I don't mean to be gross, but or immediate sex. This is where the world's at. And because of the technological innovations, everything from microwave to to on and on and on. And I'm not saying any of that's bad, but I'm saying we better be a people in the midst of all this that say, God, hallelujah. Lord, we're not going to become a jaded, barbaric, desensitized people. And the people that are brought in, they're going to realize there's still a good God. There's a great life. You can raise your kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They can be happy. They can be safe. Hallelujah. The barbarianism. Look at road rage. It's going crazy. Air rage. Talk show rage. Rage, rage. The after the athletic event, smash up everything in sight. Rage. Amen. Very, very barbaric. How dark is it? Libido driven gangs. They roam parks on Sunday afternoons. Groping, stripping, helpless women. This is noted many occasions while police officers turn their heads and go away because they got families they don't want to get killed. And so barbarism 
is allowing to run its way. Teenage Goths and Huns roam high school yards with paramilitary rifles looking to kill some fellow student who somehow slighted them somewhere. And when one of these characters, who was, who was sitting on the side of Highway 80 for a few months there and shooting at passerbys, when they finally caught him, amen, and uh, his, his statement was, All I know is, is in Hollywood, when they do it, they're a hero. But in real life, when you do it, you're a chump. Or the kid that recently the cops got, and after God knows how many wrecks and people hurt, and he was going down the roads in a stolen car, 90 miles an hour. And when they caught him, he couldn't even sit down on the seat. He had to drive the car standing up because he was seven years old. And he said, where'd you learn this? He said, I learned it on Grand Theft Auto, the video game. Barbarism. 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 Major corporations support talk shows with daily themes, such as the character that got up on television talk show. Amen. Well, people ooh and ah, and millions watch in, and his his subject of of discussion was, "I impregnated thirty girls, and I'm proud of it." Barbarism in the 21st century. Recording artists that are bringing down the millions of bucks with names like Cannibal Corpse. That's a recording group with vile lyrics. They're so filthy. Anyone talk about it? Nine hundred numbers. Multi-billion-dollar porn industry. One-third of those calls, however, are now being placed to psychic hotlines. We're going back to the days of the witches, New Age religions, hype of horoscopes, Wicca, channeling, old-fashioned divination, magic, demon possession, primitive nature religions. And you're up here in Northern California, and you, I got my weird stuff in Southern California, but you guys got your weird stuff up in Northern California. And this kind of stuff is proliferating. And people say, well, thank goodness our kids are finally going back to reading. They're becoming big readers. Yeah, the big, big, big seller made the woman a multi-billionaire. It's about a little witch by the name of Harry Potter. If you're a one God Jesus name apostolic, and you're allowing your kid to read Harry Potter. You talk about desensitized. You talk about luring in. Drawing in. I, 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 I don't understand this. I, I don't understand it. Amen. Folks, the barbarians are at the gates. In his book, The Closing of the American Mind. I'm almost done. I really am. The secular author, Alan Bloom, who died a couple of years ago, has been referred to as the prophet of America in the 20th century, and he was a secular man, but he had such an insight into American society. He made this statement after these many things, such polluted sources, such as are flowing into the American stream, issue a muddy stream where only monsters can swim. And so now the demons that once lurked in the dark forest of medieval Europe, they've migrated to the boardrooms and wardrooms of Hollywood executives. And now they've, ex they've zipped themselves into exotic new costumes. But it's the same 
dark, barbaric spirit. Parents, churches, we have no business going there. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. God's called us to show forth the praises of Him that brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. When you go this far, you may as well finish it up. Well, the stats are in now. And the religious world's looking on. And the money world of Hollywood's looking on. And they've come to the conclusion. You ready? You ready? After all is said and done, you ready? The passion of Christ changed nothing. It just made 600 million bucks. They say as far as denominally, it has affected the churches. It was a blip on the radar screen. But when it was raging and when it was going, one person went up to a man in our church and said, Have you seen the passion of Christ? He said, No, I haven't, but I read the book. There's a book about it? Oh, yeah, man, I've been reading it for years. Really? It's still there. It's still there. It's still there. He ain't going nowhere. He's still there. And, and can I make a statement? What might be a step forward for somebody out in the world, and I'm glad it may be a step forward for someone in the world, that don't mean it's a step forward for us. What can be a step forward for somebody else can be a step back for us. It's like, it's like a kid in the ghetto, amen, that's trapped by poverty and, and all that. And I understand that it's sad, it's terrible. Him going into professional or sports, school sports, to pull himself up out of poverty. That may be a step forward for him, but that don't mean it's a step forward for us. What can be a step forward for somebody else is a step forward for back, backwards for us. And the passion of Christ, if it calls somebody to step forward somewhere, someplace, that's nice. But that don't mean we step backwards. We're not an image-based. We're word-based. I remember, I, the food will still be there. And I've told this before, and you've heard it. Amen. I had not... I was not baptized in Jesus' name. I did not have the Holy Ghost. I did not have a pastor. I did not have a church. I, I didn't have any of those things. I had repented of my sins. I quit my smoking, my drinking, my drugging, my running around. All of that was over. Amen. I lived in the home with my parents. I was going to school. I had an old Bible that would fall to pieces, and I had a cross that glowed in the dark, and I was Johnny Christian, but that's all I had. And one night, I was watching TV, which was easy to do because my parents had three in the front room. They had one in every single room in the house. They had one in the truck. Amen. And so there I was in the basement. And I was watching the Wild Wild West, and I was watching, and there was a guy named James West. And he, I watched him. He grabbed a guy by the hair and he beat his head on a hitching post and he threw him into the watering trough. And while I was watching James thump that dude good, something spoke to me and said, 
That wasn't Christian, James. And I got so convicted. I got so convicted and I, I turned the channel. That wasn't Christian. I turned the channel. That really wasn't Christian. I turned the channel. That wasn't Christian. And I shut it off. And I never turned it on. Fifteen years later, I'm pastoring in Arroyo Grande. A man receives the gift of the Holy Ghost, him and his wife, in their home. He comes to me. We baptize him in Jesus' name. And... Uh, People in our church have been giving him Bible studies. And so on our second prayer meeting, he comes up and says, tell me everything the church believes. I said, what? He said, I want all the standards. I said, oh, man, just come to church. You'll get it. Don't worry about it. Just love God. He said, no, I want to know right now. I said, really? So I took about 15 minutes to tell him everything we believe, the, the don'ts. Okay? Now, if it takes you longer than 15 minutes, you might want to check it out. But anyway... Took me about 15 minutes. And, uh, and so I came to the TV part. He said, piece of cake, no problem. Really? He said, I ain't had a TV in six years. I said, the, the, the denominational church you come out of, they don't believe that. He said, oh, I know that. They, my whole, that whole church made fun of me and my wife. And that's starting to happen in some of our churches. So, I said, where did you get that? He said, well, it's a funny thing. He said, six years ago, I was watching the Wild Wild West. It was a rerun. This is the truth. The man's name is Ken Winkler. He's pastoring in Arizona. He said, uh, I was watching the Wild Wild West, and this guy named James West, he beat a guy's head on a hitching post, and he threw him into the watering trough and said, my heart smote me. He said, I turned it off. I ain't never turned it on. I preached this message in Mississippi camp last year, this last summer. When I got done, a pastor came up to me, Brother James Hembry. James Hembry. Lives in Mississippi, pastors in Alabama. He came up to me. He was beaming. He said, I got to talk to you. Please, I got to talk to you. I said, okay. He said... 20-some years ago, he said, I was in a movement that allowed the ministers and the churches, people to have televisions. And he said, so there I was. He said, I got three boys. He said, I came home from work. I was doing a home missions work. I walked in the house. He said, I was walking by, and my kids were sitting in front of the television. He said, and James West, this is a truth, Bubba. You can call him. James, I, I, I'm going to we need to make that required watching for <laughs> not just teasing I really am just teasing he said I walked through the living room there was my three boys glued he has beaten the guy's head on a hitching post he threw him in the water truck and my heart smote me and I turned it off and said boys we're getting rid of that he said I got rid of that TV he said all three of my boys are living for God today one of them was in our church a couple of weeks ago hallelujah he said I'll never forget that day as long as I live brother Booker now if the Holy Ghost can talk to three different individuals don't tell me he, he quit talking don't 
tell me he's still not saying, hey, that's not Christian. Don't tell me. All of a sudden, he's changed his mind. I'm talking about barbarism in the 21st century. In the middle of this world, there's going to be a people that say, bless your heart. World, you talk about good news. We got the best news the world's ever seen. You can raise your children. Let's all stand. You can raise your children in a safe place. You can raise them in a beautiful place. You can raise them in a wonderful place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm closing. Let's, let's just put a little icing on this cake. Okay? Anybody ever heard the name Madonna? Anybody here think she's spiritual? Maybe in an adverse way. Guess what about Madonna? Madonna! Refuses to let her kids watch television. That's something when Madonna's got more sense than one God, Jesus' name, apostolics in that area. Madonna refuses. Anybody here ever hear of the artist Thomas Kincaid? Thomas Kincaid has not had a television in his home for years. He says, I will never have one. I've got a lady in our church that is a good friend with a nanny, a Beverly Hills nanny. She's been a nanny in Beverly Hills for over 25 years. She takes care and has through the years of children of many of the stars. She, she takes them to, they have, they have their own uh, daycare places there. She's worked in all phases of it. She told this lady in our church, she said, she's known her for years, she said, you'd be shocked at how many of those movie stars will not put their children in a daycare that has a television and will not allow me to allow their kids to watch television. Why? Because they know. They know. A man by the name of Philo Farnsworth. It's a nice handle, isn't it? Back in the 1950s, he was watching television with his kids. And those were different days than now. He watched with horror, growing man in horror. He said, this machine will steal the intellect of my babies. And he refused to allow his family to watch television. You know who Philo Farnsworth was? He was the inventor of television. The man that invented it said, I'll never allow my kids to watch it. Because he saw what it was doing and its potential. And so I have it. And Marilyn Voss Savant, the most brilliant woman in the world. If you have an IQ of 140, you're considered a genius. Her IQ is 240. She's married to Carl Jarvik that helped build, he made the Jarvik heart. They met and got married because literally, he heard her on a radio talk show. He called her up afterwards. He said, do you ever have a hard time finding somebody to talk to because you're pretty smart? She said, terribly hard. He said, me too. They started talking, fell in love, and now they're married. 
Somebody asked Marilyn Vossavon a question about television. She said, I don't know. I don't watch it and haven't for years. Pretty high IQ if you ask me. Hallelujah. And on. And on and on. I got more here. I got more here. But I'm stopping. I'm stopping. Why is it though? People come into our churches and they feel something. And it's so different. And it's so exciting. And it's so alive. And it's so powerful. It feels good in there. It feels clean in there. It feels safe in there. I don't understand when I get that excitement. But I don't feel that where I'm going. And I don't feel that in my world. And I don't feel that in my home. Why is it these children look so clean and so wholesome and so happy? And they see a people in the midst of an untoward generation that got smiles on their faces and, and beaming insights. And a pastor can get up and go to the word of the Lord. He ain't him humming. He ain't apologizing. And he ain't ugly either. He's just bringing out the beauties of the grace and the glory of God and how it'll change a heart and a life and a soul and a destiny. And will get us and anybody wants to jump on board into heaven. And I'm going to tell you something. You got to have that in a church. You talk about a prerequisite for revival. Honey, it's got to be there. And if we'll take care of our business and families, moms and dads, you'll get behind him out of God. And say, come on now, our world ain't going to be in our church. Our church is in the world, but the world's not in the church. We're going to walk with God. And see him move. God, forgive me for taking my time today. I am sorry. But brothers and sisters, is there anybody here that just, for, I know it's late, but you'd like to take just a couple of minutes to be pulling back some down and pulling in some rededication time and some God, my home, my heart, my life, our spirit, our church is going to be a beautiful place and a safe place in Jesus. If that's beating in anybody's heart, if that's beating in any pastor's heart, if that's beating in any pastor's wife's heart, if that's beating in any mama's heart, any daddy's heart, and you'd like to maybe just step out and come down and just put your hands up and say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Would you fall down like rain? sons and daughters safe grandchildren beautiful grandchildren sweet grandchildren